Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you on this holiday weekend morning. You never know who's going to show up at church when you have a, have a holiday like this. And, and we're so glad that you're here. This is a great group of people, and we welcome you. We welcome our guests this morning that are with us, and we want to encourage you to just uh, take one of those green cards right in front of you. Fill it out, would you please? And we're going to be writing you a note this week, and you can put it in the offering when it comes around a little bit later on this morning. I want to read a text that will be very familiar to you. It is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. I want to read about five or six verses that tie in with this text, because here Solomon is asking God, He's asking God, will you join with us? Will you be a part of who we are as a nation? And God responds in this way, beginning in verse number uh, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my commandments, then I will establish my throne in your kingdom. I, as I covenanted with David and your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them and this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all people. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to the land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord God with their of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all of this calamity on them. Now, folks, I don't know if there is a better summation in all of the Bible as to exactly what is happening in America today. God is calling people back to God. And churches need to be the kind of people that are, that are leading this, this, uh, this move back to God. And I encourage you to lift up this country. Please do it every day, would you? Lift up its leadership. So many decisions get made so many, uh, so many things are happening, and we need to pray for America. Would you pray with me right now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our country. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of living in, one, in, in, in literally the finest country on the face of the planet. 
Father, despite the problems and the issues and, and sometimes the days of turmoil that we see too, far too often, Father, we believe that your hand continues with America. But Father, we need to heed the advice of God the Father as he speaks to Solomon and, and to the people of Israel from this passage. We must not forsake God. We must not turn our heads in another direction away from God. Father, I pray that you will cause us to seek you with all of our heart. Father, I pray that your hand will continue to rest upon this land. Father, I pray for families in this church. I pray that families will rally around the word of God and the presence of God in their homes. Father, I pray that you will cause us not to look in other things and other directions for our satisfaction, but may our satisfaction be always found in you. And so, Father, today as we look forward on this national holiday of the 4th of July or Independence Day, Father, I pray that we would be, uh, we would be reminded of the many sacrifices that have occurred so that we might have a free land in which we're to live. And so, Father, I pray, help us not to forget our past, but also as we look toward the future, help us not to forget that it is God who brings us forward. It is God who, whose love touches our hearts and our lives. I pray for the mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God to sweep away the things that have become major distractions in our lives. And Father, I pray that a focus might be keenly uh, sharpened and that we would be fully aware of your presence at all times. And so, Father, we thank you for this day and we pray this in the wonderful, the mighty name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Folks, I get the honor of introducing Earl Witham to the platform today as he brings the word. I'm excited. Earl, again, another student uh, here from Faith and is currently at the University of Northern Iowa. And God's been stirring on him, possibly full-time ministry. And so the Lord brought some things together, and Earl's been helping us here this summer, doing a fantastic job. And uh, here he's going to now get an opportunity to present the word to us as a body. So would you welcome Earl Witham. Bless you, Lord. Thank, thank you. Um, it's great to get the opportunity to speak today um, and just what God's been stirring in my heart. And today, uh, my message is called Holy Living, and it's going to be based off of 1 Peter 1, 13 through 2, verse 3. So just a little background about 1 Peter so we can kind of get a setting here. So 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of Christians that have experienced persecution and suffering for their faith. And Peter is writing them and encouraging them to hold tight to the Lord, to trust in the Lord, and to live a life like the Lord. So I'm just going to read chapter 1, verse 13 through 25 to get us started. So in 13, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are, all, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, 
but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So today I just want to take this opportunity to talk about how God asks us to live a holy life and what does it mean to live like the Lord. So we're going to jump in right to verse 14 where Peter tells us, as obedient children. I think we need to set the, the, the setting here of how, what Peter is referring to us. So Peter is telling us that we're children of God. So God is our father. So think of this, parents, maybe this is the obedience that, you're, that you're, you expect of your children. And the same obedience is what God expects from us. And people that don't have parents yet, or don't have children yet, <laughs> think of the, parents, the expectations that your parents had for you. And I think sometimes we can get this wrong, especially parents. Sometimes we expect obedience from our children that isn't of the word, and it's what we think is right and wrong and not what God thinks is right and wrong, because God does define how he wants us to raise our children, and it's by the standards, the ways, and the truth of the Bible. So as we continue on today, we must keep the perspective of obedience as being obedient to a parent. We must think of God as God the Father in our obedience to call to obey him. And part of being obedient to a parent involves hearing what they want us to obey. And sometimes people say, well, God doesn't tell me what to do. God doesn't give me the way of life I'm supposed to live, but he does. And it's right here. Because sometimes we're not going to hear from God, and this is the best way to understand what God, how the, the way God calls us to live, the expectations, the standards, and the way of life that we're called to live. So we must open up our Bible to hear from God, to see what he has um, called us to live, and we must be obedient to the Lord. So right after Peter tells us to be obedient, he gives us the first way to obey God. So the first way to obey God, he continues on in verse 14 to continue with, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. So Peter is telling us to not conform of our old ways, our old desires. And as he's talking to this group of Christians, he's saying before they were saved, before they put their, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So the desires that used to hinder you, the pride, the lust, the gossip, the impurities, the sexual immorality, whatever used to hinder you in your old life, those old desires, we are called to not live of them anymore. We're called to step away from them and not go back. So Peter isn't telling us all desires, though, because there are desires that come from God that he puts on our heart that we must follow through with, and these decisions must be checked because we all get desires of some sorts, but whether it's from the flesh or of God must be checked. And there's three different ways I believe we can really check them. The first one would be prayer, to just ask God that is this desire from God or is it from the flesh? Another way would be in the Bible, to check and see how it lines up with God's word. And another way I think is really pivotal is to seek a godly counsel, to ask others whether it's from you or from God. With that, there's also a certain part that we must, we must understand that the things of the flesh hold us back from the, the relationship God desires us to live with him. So I'm going to use the word flesh quite a bit. So I want us to get a definition of flesh that I think really will help with this message. So the definition of flesh. 
affections and desires that run contrary to God in every area of life. So the flesh is the desires that we are born with, the sinful nature that we all have. It's the things not of God. So right after he tells us how not to live, he goes in and gives us another part of being obedient to God, which is to be holy. So to be set apart from our old desires, our old ways, and to live in a new way. So to be holy means to be set apart. And another way we can think of being holy is being separated from evil. So in verse 15 and 16, Peter tells us to be holy and then quotes God who says, Be holy because I am holy. When he tells us to be holy, it's not just part of the time. It's all the time. In verse 15, the end of it, it says, all, in all, Be holy in all your conduct. And I think sometimes people struggle with this because we like to pick and choose when we're holy. We like to pick and choose when we live of the flesh or when we live of God. But we're called to live this way all the time. Whether we're with a certain group of friends, or we're at work with our coworkers, we're called to live a holy life to be set apart from this world. And it's not because when we don't obey this call to holiness, it's not what God wants from us. It's not the life God wants us to live. So I think a question that can go with this in how we conduct ourselves, whether it be part of the time or all the time, is how do you live outside of these walls? Because it's easy to come into church and put on an image, an image of, I have it all together, I'm a Christian, I know how to live, I'm living a holy life, a life set apart. But what's our life look like when we're by ourselves, when we're out of these, these walls? We must have the same image inside here as we do outside, and it must be from the heart. It must be our real selves. So we must conduct that question and ask ourselves, are we being holy all the time? Are we set apart from the, the fleshly desires all the time? And part of being holy doesn't come by ourselves because we can't live a pure and holy life on our own. And it's just not possible. But the second we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our lives, that moment on, we become set apart from this world. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we should desire to live holy lives, to live lives that are set apart from earthly things, from earthly desires. So Peter's just challenged us to, to live holy lives. He also highlights a day that is coming for everybody. That day is judgment day. And this is the day that we'll all be judged by God. Where you're either destined for heaven and judged by your good works, or you're bound to hell and will be there for eternity. So as we have the day in store, the only judgment that should matter and does matter is the judgment we will receive by God. So as we make every decision, we need to understand that it's not the judgment of our friends, the people in our community, our bosses, our coworkers. Their judgment has no weight compared to the weight that God has on our lives. The, the, we live in a very, we have a very short life here on earth compared to what we have in store for us later on. And that life is eternal. That life is everlasting. So what these people think doesn't even come close to the weight of God. So I found a quote the other day on Twitter, and I think it goes really well with this part of the sermon. A guy named Carson Case says, Don't allow the fear of what people think cause you to live a life you were never meant to live. The life that we were meant to live is a life set apart from evil, a life set apart from this world. So we must live like that. Because I think one of the biggest desires that all humans have is the desire to be accepted by others or the desire to have approval from others, whether it be the list of the family or the people in our community, whoever it may be that we seek that, that acceptance from, 
that will hold us back from the relationship with God we're supposed to have. If we let the fear of what people think hinder our attempts to live for God, we will not become all of what God wants us to be. So when we only care about what God thinks, though, our mindset becomes eternal, which leads to my next point. In verse 17, it continues on to say, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. We are, this home here on earth, if we are a Christian, it's a very temporary residence. In Philippians, Paul would say in Philippians, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So a citizen, I think of myself as a citizen of the United States. That would define my citizenship on earth. But once I became saved, my citizenship is no longer on earth, and I am a citizen of heaven. There's a home waiting for me in heaven, and this is my temporary residence. So as this being my temporary residence, and for all of us, we must live as strangers to the world. And that means we can't be too familiar with the things of this earth. We can't get too comfortable with the desires of the flesh. So as we make our decisions every day in our choices, we must ask ourselves this very key question. It's a very simple question, but it holds a lot of weight. That question being, will it matter in 100 years? This is a question growing up in youth group that Russ has really instilled in the youth ministry and even to this day. And I think it's great for everyone here. When we ask ourselves this question, the impact it can have has a couple different parts. Does my decision affect anyone's salvation? In a hundred years, will the decisions I make today, will it affect anyone else's salvation? Does it affect the people that are watching me, my ch the children, the siblings, the grandkids, the coworkers, the people you come in contact with? They're all watching you. And we all have a case a case for Christ. When we try to share that gospel with them, our decisions we make when they watch us, that can affect how they see God, how they come in contact with God, and whether or not they become saved or not. So every decision matters. That's why we should filter our life through a question like this. When we have a decision to make, we must ask ourselves this key question. And I would ask you guys today to even ask yourself that question. The way of life that we're living right now Will it matter in 100 years? Because maybe some of us are spending, how we spend our time hinders our relationship with God or further in the kingdom. Or maybe it's our money. Or I think a key thing is what we value. Do we value further in the kingdom? Do we value spending time with our kids? Do we value what God values? Maybe for some of us, we're spending too much time at work, not enough time with our kids. That's just a couple of things that it could be. But there's a lot of things that can hinder the relationship God wants us to live, or the, the life that God wants us to live. And we must choose to ask ourselves this question and choose the right decision. So here's the thing. Every moment matters. Each decision matters. It has some form of, of impact on people's lives, whether it be small or large. It does impact other people, which ultimately leads us to Peter's conclusion statement. So in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, I'm going to read that now. So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow by it for your salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter in verse 1 tells us to rid ourselves of all sin. Again, he's telling us to not live of our old desires. Live of the desires he provides us. To live that life set apart from the things. And he gives us a couple examples there of what are things of this, of this world. 
And then Peter continues on and gives us a very interesting analogy when he says in, chapter, in verse 2, like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk. I was pretty confused when first reading this and, and thinking, what does he mean? Well, all babies crave this innate craving for milk as soon as they're born, and they must have it. Because babies need, because it, it provides babies with the fuel to live, the vitamins and nutrients to build up their immune system, and it also allows them to feel the warmth and love from their parents. This analogy would represent to, Christ, to us Christians, or to Christians, and new, it would be a new believer. So an analogy shows that Christians, that we should always desire God and his word. And we must have a craving for his word because it is key. And we must read the word because his word provides us the benefit to help us have a strong relationship and a healthy relationship with God. So as all babies naturally crave milk, likewise, when Christians are saved, they will naturally, innately crave and desire God and his word. So as he gives us these instructions throughout the Bible, we must have an understanding that we will face challenges in our faith brought by the flesh, but we must choose to crave God and his instructions over desire brought up by the flesh. In 1 John, today I was driving here and Russ texted me a passage of, he read today, and I think it goes really well with this message. In 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, it's not going to be up on the board because I, I didn't have time to put it in, but follow along with me. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you, loved, when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. We must choose to crave God and his word and the things that he puts on our heart, and not the things of the flesh, the things of this world. It's a choice we make to follow God and put away, to be set apart from the things of this world. So as milk is to babies, one of their key foundational elements that they must have, the word of God is the same to Christians. Without milk, babies won't survive. Without the word of God, it makes it hard to grow in our relationship with him, and we'll be missing a key element of our walk with the Lord. For us to grow, we must constantly seek God and his word. It takes time and effort and is a process. Someone, a, a newborn, a baby doesn't go from 8 pounds, 20 inches, to 6 foot, 200 pounds in a matter of instant. It takes years, not days, years. It's the same as our walk with God. To grow and develop, like it says in verse, in verse 3 here, like, in, like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow by it for your salvation. We must open the word of God. We must dig in because that's how we will grow. That's how, our, how we will mature into, into strong Christians. And we, but we will have faults along this journey, and we won't live a completely whole life, a holy life. It's just impossible because of the innate fleshly nature we have. But we must try our best all the time to live with the Spirit and not by the flesh. And I think some of us this morning might still be living in the flesh and need to make a decision today to live for God, to live a life set apart from the old way, from our old ways and of the flesh. And I would encourage you today, if that is you, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and start your relationship with him. And if you do do that today, I would also encourage you to either come talk to me, Pastor Niles, or Pastor Russ, and we can help you get started on your walk and give you some resources that can be beneficial. 
I also think that there are some of us today that have things of the flesh holding us back from the relationship that God, or the, the life that God wants us to live. Whether it be a certain sin, a thing of this world, or desire of the flesh, we need to rid ourselves of it and turn to God and live a holy life. A life set apart from this earth and live as temporary residents here. I just want to conclude in prayer before Pastor Niles comes up. Dear God, thank you for this opportunity to speak today. Thank you for letting me be a vessel for you, Lord. I just pray that everyone would be able to take something away from this message and rid ourselves of sin and live a pure, holy life, Lord. But it's not possible without you. In Jesus' name, amen. God is awesome. I hear people use that word. You know, I've kind of got this funny thing that uh, I only use that term when I think of God. So when somebody comes out and says, wow, here's your French fries and they're awesome. <laughs> you know, I just say, no, only God's awesome. These French fries look really good. But God is awesome. I probably will affect your lives by saying that. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person here, every family, every young person, teenager, boy, girl, every family member, every guest. Father, I pray, would you cause your face to shine upon our lives? And Father, merely the reflection of your face in our lives is going to be that which is going to draw people to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'll give each of us a good week ahead. Father, I pray that you'll touch others through our lives this week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are awesome in